Welcome to Rogue Bugs. This is the basketball series uh, on the move. So I'm currently traveling at the moment. I will be hosting this solo today. Uh, so appreciate that you'll all love the sound of my voice. Uh, solo Pro has uh, bombed on the time that we had scheduled, just uh, not understanding time differences too well. The Americans uh, usually struggle with realizing that uh, the other other side of the world does exist. So a bit of miscommunication, but uh, Pro has has bombed on the time. So we're going to just throw him under the bus completely and blame him. But hopefully he'll be here in a couple of weeks. So when he gives me shit about only doing this every two weeks, we can't even get that right at the moment. So I, I apologize, but uh, all good in jest. Pro will be back in a couple of weeks' time when we hopefully do part two of this. But I'm going to get right into it. Uh, Trent's going to jump in on, on some things every now and then. I'll get his opinion on a few things just so we have a second voice so you're not drowned out by by my beautiful lyrics. But let's get rolling. Uh, team of the week for me this week or the last two weeks, I'm going to give it to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, they've, they're playing much, much better with this outlier, Nozak Levine. He's been hurt. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They've won three straight. Uh, they've moved in to solidify the 11th spot, so they're one spot out of the plane. They're only half a game behind Atlanta. That's in the loss column. Uh, Atlanta, 12 and 15, Chicago, 13 and 17. But it's very interesting to see just the way they're playing without uh, without Zach Levine, who was supposed to be, you know, potentially an all league player, uh, a guy that can can get you buckets from time to time. We've seen him, you know, with a 50 point game last season. He can definitely score with the best of them. At this point in his career, I think it's year nine or ten for him. Is he a winner? Is he a guy that you can surround youth, veteran leadership and get wins? In Chicago, no. In Minnesota, no. So there's rumors that he's on the uh, on the trade block. Uh, I don't blame Chicago for that. I think his value now, uh, the, with the Bulls playing so well, um, actually drops because I think people are going to look at this like, well, hang on a second, the Bulls, you guys were – Really struggling, you know, down towards the bottom of the of the Eastern Conference, in a bit of form, um, seven and three in their last ten, won three straight. No Zach Levine, hmm, what's going on there? So people might read between the lines there, but I got to give them a shout out. They're playing very, very good basketball. Uh, it's good to see. I always appreciate when these teams in the lower end of of whatever conference just fight their way and get some wins. And that was the Orlando Magic last season. They're a prime example of a team that. They were in the bottom five uh, and and they were still scratching and clawing. It wasn't a walk-in, walk-out win to go to Orlando. A year later, you fast forward to now and they're fourth in the East and playing really good basketball. So I think it's important, you know, even for these teams that are tanking and rebuilding to have have a sense of professionalism that starts from their gym and their coach down. Yeah, we are tanking subtly, um, but we still want to instill a winning environment and that's where it's a tricky mix and I think the Bulls now – Seem like they're still, you know, trying to trying to be professional, and they might even sneak into a plane. Uh, I still don't love their roster, but they are they are playing a better brand of basketball right now. So I got to give them a shout out uh, for my team of the week. The other obvious one was the Clippers. They're nine and one in their last ten. They've found it. They've put it together. They're playing really good basketball right now. It seems like they've got a good uh, a good flow going with that starting unit with Westbrook and Powell coming off the bench. They're doing some good things, but. Obviously, we all think that they should be up there anyway, which is why I went with the Chicago Bulls. Trent, what, what do you think about about those two teams specifically for, for Team of the Week? Uh, the, it's interesting. Like the the Bulls have no expectations at this point, so I think once once a guy like Levine goes out, who's you know taking a lot of shots, you know, it, it gets a lot more of the the other guys involved. And you see guys like Kobe White have been balling, and uh, like now they get their opportunity. You can see they're getting comfortable, and and it results in wins. Um, so, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Levine in the next couple of weeks come come trade deadline, Feb. Yeah, I just don't know what value they're going to get back. That's that's the issue now for the Bulls is, like, are you, you know, you, you're probably happy with – you obviously have to match some sort of salary there and get an expiring, um, try to get some picks with it. But I don't, I don't know if teams are going to give that up. It might be a, a swap for an expiring is probably the best you're going to get. So it'd be interesting to see just the direction they go there. All right, moving on to my week team – of the last two weeks and kind of a controversial one, but I'm going with the Phoenix Suns. They just haven't looked good. They look real clunky. They just, you know, they have dealt with some injuries, but look, when you've got Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, if one of those three go out, you're still expected to win most games or at least 
been most games. Hasn't been so. They, they look they look discombobulated. They don't look like they're on the same page. Inconsistent basketball. They, they have two of the best scorers in the league. Even Beal's a, a, an up-there scorer, but with Booker and Durant, who have been healthy for the most part for the season, Booker was hurt a little bit earlier, but they've both been playing lately. They've got two guys that can get you 50 on any given night. It just doesn't – it's not fitting well. Um, the, the injuries haven't helped them, like I said, but – they're squandering leads. They've got a stagnant offense. They have defensive lapses. They turn the ball over like crazy. And it, it just seems like it seems like they're the kind of the clippers from last season or the season before. Like we're a real talented roster. Let's just make sure we get to the playoffs at whatever cost. We're going to limp into the playoffs and then we're going to turn it on. And that's a that's a dangerous cocktail in the NBA. If you don't if you don't have continuity and if you don't have, you know, form of playing together and knowing guys' strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. It definitely hurts. So Kogi's been okay. He's been in and out of the lineup for him. Grayson Allen's been okay as a role player for him. Damian Lee's been, you know, hurt for the most part. Uh, Watanabe hasn't been as good as he was in Brooklyn. Nurkic has been solid for him. Is he the long-term answer at 30, 35 minutes? I don't know, but he's been pretty solid. Eric Gordon's actually revitalized himself a little bit, so I've, I've been pretty pleased with the way he's played. Um, then obviously Durant and, and, and Booker and Beal, but this team – just looks like it's 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 a team of stars that you put together on 2K right now that has never played together. And I always uh, kind of stress about these kind of teams with with this kind of star power, not playing enough basketball together and getting the runs on the board and, and getting continuity. Oh, well, Devin Booker likes the ball here or KD likes this play or, hey, he just made three in a row. What can we do to get him an easy one? They don't have that yet. And the good teams do. You look at some of these good teams who are nowhere near as talented – they're on autopilot with that kind of stuff, and that's what makes good teams, um, you know, very, very good and even better. So they're they're up there with with one of the one of the ill performing teams, in my opinion, of the last couple of weeks. Uh, who else do we have? We had obviously the Detroit Pistons. They're still in the mix. They've lost twenty five straight, and they're gonna they're gonna eclipse their franchise record, which was broken about three weeks ago. I think it was fifteen or fourteen or whatever it was. So. I think the league record, I'm not sure what that is, Trent, if you want to look it up. I think it might be might be close. They might be close to a league record for, for all-time uh, losses in a row, which you never want to be in the conversation of. The Charlotte Hornets have lost six straight, so they're not playing good basketball neither. Brooklyn Nets have lost four straight. They've been up and down. Orlando Magic have lost four straight, so they're not playing the best basketball. The Lakers, who I had picked as a 10, are actually 10th right now. Uh, there are some injuries there with LeBron and whatnot, but they've lost four straight. And the rest of the league has been pretty consistent. Um, the Spurs finally got a win a couple, about a week ago. Portland Trailblazers have been inconsistent but decent for a crappy team. They're at least competitive. Memphis Grizzlies have won two straight with the return of Ja Morant. So I was I had them picked in my six. They are a far, far, far way back. They're still five games, excuse me, six games away from the 10 seed, which is the Lakers. But I think they can get some momentum going. They have a really good roster, and they're starting to get healthy. I think Marcus Smart returns next week. They are starting way back on that start line, but at eight and nineteen right now. They'll need to go, you know, probably you know six fifty seven hundred the rest of the way to probably make a, a nice little push. But I think they're capable of doing that. And I think they're a very good team with Durant. But uh, what are your thoughts around uh, the Suns, Trent? Yeah, it's a tough one. Like you get rid of Monty and you bring in Frank Vogel and, you know, you, you don't have any continuity in your lineups because everyone's injured to start the season. So I don't think it's that surprising. You've traded away all your depth as well to get Bradley and, and Kevin Durant. So you now have a team that's been gutted, no brand new head coach. Um, so it's not it's not super surprising. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, if if they even have any flexibility to do anything at the trade deadline. But yeah, like if they can't get those three guys playing and getting reps together, then I can't see much changing come playoff time. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. And I mean, they've got, they got some talent. Look, you probably still don't want to face them uh, in the playoffs, at least in the first round, if you're one of these higher seeds. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you're say you're in Minnesota and then it's a 1v8 out of the plane or whatever it is, you don't want to face Phoenix in that first round. So they have some danger there because they can get hot. But 
it does not look good right now. Uh, very, very clunky. Just before you go there, Bogues, uh, 2014, 15, and 2015, 16 season, the Philadelphia 76ers lost 28 straight games spanning across those two years. So that is currently the longest consecutive loss streak in NBA history, the 76ers. So the Pistons are three games away from tying that. Let's have a look at their little schedule coming up. They got Brooklyn twice, who have lost four straight, and they're going to look at these two games as potentially a a must win for them. I think they probably win both of those. Got Boston after that, and then Toronto and Houston. <laughs> so, I think uh, I'm a betting man. They they got to get one of these Brooklyn games. It's a home and I think it's a home and home. Uh, yeah, it is to home and home. So if they get one of those two, I think they're happy. But uh, not looking good in Michigan in Motor City for for you Pistons fans. I, I don't see them getting out of that hole. Enough. I've got I've got a. Slight suspicion that they have every chance to set an NBA record in the next week or two. We'll find out for the next podcast and see how that goes. All right, there was a very, very – well, I wouldn't say intriguing, but very crazy story that's come out of somewhat the NBA, NBA G League. Um, there is a, a player who's been arrested for murder, which is just absolutely bonkers when you read the story. Um his name is Chance Comanche. The Sacramento Kings in October, later assigned to their G League affiliate Stockton Kings after being waived. Anyway, he's he's admitted to the mur- to a murder of a of a prostitute, um, and it's just a crazy story. Apparently, he was seeing a girl that uh, that knew the prostitute, um, and she was his friend. His friend or girlfriend said, "I, I owe this. I owe this." Uh, this working girl, some money or some some items or something like that, and I can't pay him back, and she's going to come after me. So they hatched a plan to to lure her into a, uh, I guess, a, an appointment uh, for some servicing of, of chance. And he said that he was into BDSM and all that kind of tying up type shit. And they tied the uh, the, the sex worker up and, and murdered her and dumped her. Uh, here we go over a Rolex watch, essentially over a beef over a Rolex watch, and then dumped her somewhere in in Vegas and um, use a cord to strangle her, a HDMI cord apparently. Um, just an absolutely crazy story and he's admitted to it. He's been arrested and this this isn't just the guy that's on the, on the end of the bench. I mean, not that numbers matter, but just for context, he was you know, 12.7 rebounds, 1.4 blocks. So not a, not a scrub in the G League, a guy that actually played and, you know, police show up and show up to the practice facility and yank him out of the practice facility and, Safe to say he's going to be he's going to be in the cling for a long, long time. But this this kind of stuff, like imagine imagine just being in a locker room and your stall is next to this guy who you know I don't know when when, when this was alleged to have happened, uh, whether it was in the off season or not. Uh, here we go, uh, rest of December thirteen. But any, anyway, I mean, imagine you sit next to a guy that just you know killed somebody. Um, December six, early hours of December six. So. He just rocks up to practice. Hey guys, let's get a good session in. And he just murdered someone three, three, four hours earlier, which is just absolutely crazy. I've, I've seen some crazy stuff in the NBA, and you know, you obviously rest in peace to the, to the young lady that's deceased. But these these kind of things you don't hear very often. You hear a lot of a lot of different stuff in the NBA, but this one uh, is a is a head scratch. Obviously, his career's over. Uh, not that he was really an, an NBA chance, but still a decent, decent, consistent NBA G League player. Twenty seven years old, he's going to end up going to do his time, and rightfully so. But just something that uh, the NBA, the NBA G League, would be fraying right now that this is attached to their league because you just don't see this kind of stuff very much. Uh, moving on from that, a bit of Edwards, Anthony Edwards' baby mama drama. So, um, for those not familiar, he's uh, he's knocked up a girl. She's aired all the dirty laundry on the internet. Of course, um, he's begging her to get an abortion. I'm not sure where it's ended, but just thought, you know, with everything he's going through, he's a pretty likable character as far as his media persona and whatnot. Um, but that these these young guys, I mean, there's there's, there's just you know. There's just always something between, you know, himself, Zion, John Morant. Um, there's just a lot of drama in that young group of superstars, which uh, I know the league doesn't love. But uh, as soon as, you know, and, and look, for Anthony Edwards' sake, I mean, her posting that on the internet, I think is 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 not great either. I don't think that's a good look for her or, or anybody involved. But I think, um, you know, you just got to be careful these days. Like we've spoken about it at length. Don't need to go into it about groupies and women and this and that and um 
it seems like Edwards treated it more as a business transaction and it seems as though she didn't and it's going to be very interesting. So I guess both sides are lawyering, lawyering up uh, as we speak and who knows where that's all going to go. But you hate to see those kind of stories. They, they do happen a lot and most of them happen behind closed doors involving lawyers, cash settlements, this and that. Yes, that happens in the NBA. It happens in Hollywood. It happens in the NFL. happens all the time. There's there's so much things that happen in those leagues that you'd have no idea about that you would be you know, pretty shocked to understand that it's it's normal. It becomes normalized in those leagues. Um, but you hate when it's aired out in public for anyone's sake. Um, I don't know if she's trying to create more leverage for herself or show him for the person that he is, whatever it is. But for both of them, I think they look like idiots in my opinion. Uh, this one was interesting. Uh, Nikola Jokic has signed with 361, which is a, uh, a uh, shoe brand out of China. China kind of has pumped the brakes as of recent on overspending on guys in the NBA, but I'm very intrigued that, that you know the MVP, former two-time MVP championship winner, has just left Nike so easily that Nike would let him walk. And now Nike's been notorious. I was a Nike athlete, so I can speak from experience. They went through a phase where they were just looking to spend on top-line guys, so KD, Kyrie, those kind of guys that were going to invest in these guys. We're not really interested in in international guys specifically. I mean, Giannis is there. They've got Giannis already. But to, to have a two-time MVP just be Nike not even really try to fight or wrestle for to keep in their reins is pretty interesting stuff. Um, but anyway, I mean, the, the Chinese money is big. The shoes, for those wondering, have gotten much better. I had a former teammate of mine, Clay Thompson, signed with Anta. Uh, he was... Early on in his journey with Anta, the shoes were not great, he said, but they were, he said they were awesome to deal with. And these Chinese brands will basically send someone out, you know, to you in the US or wherever you're playing and actually fit a shoe for your foot. So they'll make sure that it fits you best. Most guys wear orthotics on top of that. So I'd, I'd anticipate that in 2023, these shoes will be just perfect. People that, that think Nike is going to be 10 times better, I think that gap's narrowed and and if if not the same there's a lot of the same quote unquote sweatshops that are making the same shit over there anyway but um just an interesting one trent to see i haven't seen an mvp um bolt and leave for a for a chinese company yeah it's super interesting and um i think when you think of nike like you don't think Jokic. i think that's probably what it came down to if i'm assuming like you're a two-time mvp um and you're not being utilized by the biggest shoe brand in in basketball so uh, it'd be interesting if any more information comes out as to why he has it It says here that it is a multi-year deal um so and his teammate aaron gordon is also signed to 361 degrees so it'd be interesting to know if there's any influence from aaron to kind of bring him over or not but yeah it just sounds like a lack of care from nike similar situation with curry and he wasn't a two-time mvp where it's just you know let, letting a big guy walk but yeah interesting yeah the fact that uh, nike spelt curry's name wrong in their presentation i don't know if you knew that but when they presented to him back in the day um <laughs> he was they spelled his name wrong on their presentation to re-up him which didn't go down too well but if you look at the nike athletes currently you got lebron james Giannis, paul george anthony edwards um Devin Booker, Lamelo Ball, Westbrook, uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, so John Morant, uh, Doncic. So they got a pretty good stable, but it's just interesting that they don't have um, two-time MVP. He's probably arguably the best player in the world right now. Not, which is something that Nike historically has not done. They've always had the best of the best, and if they didn't have the best, it was just because Adidas poached one or one of these brands. But to go to a Chinese brand. Is 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 I think it's a noble move as well. He's getting more money, obviously. That would be probably why it's happened. Probably felt disrespected a little bit by Nike and just felt like another number. Whereas um, you know, they're gonna really make him the face of the brand. He's gonna be all over China and I think he's gonna have some Chinese off season trips to complete and he'll be a an absolute star over there and be able to expand his business empire and maybe expand his horse racing empire empire along the way. All right, uh we're gonna go through a uh, Aussies in the NBA and Interesting, interesting couple of weeks for a number of guys. Um, roll through, I'll say the best for last. But Dyson Daniels, much of the same as of last week. He's um, his minutes have significantly dried up since the return of CJ McCollum. He's down to three point four points, two point four rebounds, one point eight assists per game. 
So just attrition, really. You know, you've got a healthy superstar in front of you that's come back. Your minutes have dried up. But I still think you'll find a role. The, the only issue I find with uh, New Orleans is they got Alvarado, who's a smaller, similar version of Dyson Daniels. Um, pesky, very good defensively, picks up full court, a smaller version. So they've got two guys they can go to in, in some of these games for some energy off the bench. So he's lost a lot of his minutes because of CJ McCollum and also Alvarado's come back and and taken a little bit of his minutes. Um, he was hurt earlier in the season. So Dyson still seems to be decently productive, but he just doesn't have those 20 to 25 minutes anymore to really be, you know, he got one of our Aussie players of the week. He had a really good start to the season and he's going to be tough to do that with the current rotation that they have. Uh, Josh Green still out. He's currently out for a few weeks um, with the right elbow, and that was reported a couple of weeks ago. He's still not back, so it should be any day now, I think, where he's he's back and um, and coming back for, for the Mavs. Joe Ingles, left ankle sprain, um, December 12th. He did that the day after our last podcast, um, and he's been out since, so it didn't look too good. He's getting older, just like we all do, so it probably takes a couple extra weeks. So hopefully see him back in the lineup and – They've lost, four, they've lost four straight without him. I'm not saying he's a huge reason why, but he's a great kind of steady influence they have off the bench there in Orlando, and they're struggling a little bit for form with their rotations right now. So hopefully he's back and healthy as soon as possible. Jock Landale, no real stats to report. 7.3 minutes, 7.3 minutes a game the last two weeks. I mean, one point, you know, under a rebound. So He's struggled a little bit just to find his spot. Jeff Green's taken a little bit of his minutes. They've shortened their rotations. So um, he's just got to continue to be you know, an energy guy off the bench, be a good teammate. Um, you know, There are obviously guys in his spot that become frustrated in these circumstances. He signed a pretty big contract to go there, although it's, it's a four-year non-guarantee. It's essentially a one-year deal uh, with team options. That's the way I, I would look at it. Uh, but he... He's going to remain professional. There's going to be a knock on his door throughout the season at times, you know, down 15 in Minnesota or up up 10 in this game, foul trouble for Sengun and a few other guys. He's going to get another opportunity to play some bulk minutes. He's just got to make sure that he's ready, and that's kind of the advice that I've I've given him and other players of the like that have reached out to me when they go through these circumstances of, of being in the doghouse. It's a, hard, it's a hard spot to be, and you feel like <clears throat> the walls are closing in, but there's nothing you can do about it, but hopefully – be professional. Paddy Mills, garbage time only once again versus Cleveland. He had three three points, two rebounds, two assists in 13 minutes. But other than that, he's only really getting the game if they're up 20 or down 20 in the fourth quarter. So we hope that he finds some minutes at least after the new year, whether he gets traded, bought out, and signed somewhere else to fill a role just because the Boomers is around the corner and Paris is around the corner. You don't want a guy that's um, that's coming off playing no minutes in the NBA um, to go on into the Boomers. Matisse Thibel, 4.2 points, 3.2 rebounds, one assist game, 2.2 steals, and 1.4 blocks. So defensive end still really, really good. His numbers as far as scoring have dried up. He was double that a couple of weeks ago. So still decent from three, 10 for 19. Look, Portland are trying different things. They're trying different lineups. They're I wouldn't say that their emphasis is winning right now. It's developing Simons and a few of the other guys. Um, Reith's there playing real good basketball as well. So they're they're kind of all over the place with the way they're playing. They're competitive. They're not they're not your Detroit Pistons or your Spurs. They're going to go on these 15, 20 game losing streaks. They're still going to be competitive. But whether Matisse is home there long term, I wouldn't be surprised if if there's a playoff team that maybe goes after him. A team that's got a chance for the playoffs, whether they go to you know, try to get him this season or next season or season, who knows. Um, but I know his contract situation is he might be there for a little while. So, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone knocks on that door. And and for a few other Portland role players, um, you know, they might be looked at around the deadline to try to move some things around because they can, they've got some useful guys that could help a championship team get over the top. Josh Giddy, 12.2 points, seven rebounds, 4.8 assists, one steal, seven for 14 from three in the last two weeks. So a very, very good shooting stint for him better numbers in the, the previous two weeks but he did get hurt today he looks like he busted his ankle pretty bad it was a non-contact ankle turn um went to went to euro or pivot and his ankle completely gave out over itself so i'd anticipate he's going to be out at least 10 10 days if not more um but he was you know similar form minute wise but but starting to find a little bit from the three-point line which is good to see 
Ben Simmons still not playing. Hasn't played since November 5. We are now December 22, so he's almost at two months. A report did come out this week saying he's shown improvement and he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. So hopefully he gets healthy. You know, you never want to see a guy dealing with with this kind of stuff. There's people out there second guessing whether he's really hurt. Is it a mental thing? You know, you hate to see all that kind of stuff with a guy that's as promising a talent as Ben Simmons, but we hope to see him back on the court. Brooklyn are playing pretty good basketball right now. We hope that uh, he can get back out there and potentially float that into a into a boomer's offseason and, and, and the Paris Olympics. Duop Reith continues to play well. 9.8 points, four rebounds, one assist a game off the bench for Portland. For the most part, Aiden's been in and out, so he finds some games where he plays 20 to 25, and he's still shooting piss out of the ball. Seven for 17 from three in the last two-week period. So we're really enjoying – I'm really enjoying his growth. I mean, he basically signed on as a, as a camp invite non-guarantee and, and, and played, him, played himself into a roster spot, and now – Portland are not going to let him go, but if they happen to, there'll be a team, there'll be a, a line of teams um, hoping to get his signature as a, as a backup big. Because whenever you've got a backup big that can be strong, physical, and shoot threes, you're going to be a wanted commodity in the NBA. But for our two-time Aussie Player of the Week, I go with Dante Exum again. Um, he continues his blistering form: uh, 17 points, 3.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists, one steal per game. 12 for 19 from three in the last two weeks, and that's coming off the previous two weeks, which were similar numbers. So he's playing really, really good basketball. It seems as though he's solidified that starting spot. So it's going to be interesting to see when Josh Green comes back, what his minutes look like uh, in our Aussie watch. I think his minutes are going to be significantly impacted by the way Dante's playing. And I've just loved seeing Dante be able to play off the ball. You know, In Europe, he was predominantly early in his career. He was playing a little bit off. But to you know, towards the end of his Euro career, he was very, very ball dominant. So then they come to the NBA, you're playing with Luka Doncic. He's going to own the ball for the most part of the game. Dante knows how to play off the ball. It's catch and shoot. It's catch and drive. It's make the right play. And I've really enjoyed seeing his his career. Um, it's fluctuated coming from Utah and all that kind of stuff. Had the injuries. Was in and out of rotations. In and out of lineups. Out of the league completely. Goes to Europe. Reinvents himself has come back. I love these kind of stories. It's a Hollywood movie, and Dante should be very proud of the performance he's put in to date. And I think um, he'll continue this form and can't wait to see him obviously be a lock for the Boomers. So that's the Aussies in the NBA this week. Trent, I don't know if you've got any any comments on any of those guys? No, yeah, I, th- I think the most interesting part is to see how Dante affects uh, Josh moving forward. But I think there's a few guys there that it's, it's worrying because – there's not a lot of basketball being played across the board for a lot of the guys. And like you've said multiple times, like it's not ideal heading into the Olympics with, you know, lack of reps, lack of minutes. Um, and, it, you know, those four weeks, six weeks beforehand then become really important. So hopefully, you know, there's some movement or some things change come second half of the season that some of these guys start, you know, seeing the court a little bit more um, ahead of Paris. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge concern, at least for me being – obviously close to the boomers and being a fan and wanting them to do very, very well. Whenever you've got guys that are not playing for their club team, I'd, I'd almost argue that you take a guy playing in the NBL at 35 minutes a game, uh, let's say Chris Golding versus someone like, you know, that's not playing minutes, Josh Green playing, let's say, let's say hypothetically he was playing no minutes for the Mavs this whole season. Josh Green's obviously the better player overall. Golding's feeling good about himself. He's played minutes. He's in the MVP running to a guy that's getting DMPs in the NBA. It's always a tricky one. It's always a tricky one. You know, conditioning, shape, your, your mental mental health basketball-wise. Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling yourself? Are you feeling like you're going to knock all these shots down? Whereas Josh Green, let's say hypothetically, doesn't play much. You're like trying to find yourself and reinvent yourself through the national team. So it's always an interesting one that coaches of the national team have to deal with. And you'll see, you know, people that – after national teams are announced, there's always these people online like, how could he make it? This guy's better than him. Well, unfortunately, it's not a one-on-one game. Like you're not comparing player X to player player Y and saying, well, if it was one-on-one, the guy that got cut would win. Well, he doesn't feel the need for that team. His form wasn't good. He didn't play a whole lot the last season. And that's a danger you've got right now. Ben Simmons, um, you know, you got Ben Simmons, you got Josh Green, you got Patty Mills, Jock Landale, just not playing much. That's four integral parts of your boomers program. 
Joe Ingles obviously is back in the rotation, but he's hurt. Josh Giddy's hurt with all the distractions off the floor. So there's a lot going on with the Aussies in the NBA. Dyson Daniels now kind of out of the lineup that is not favorable for a boomer's um, positive stint, which you don't like to see. There's a lot of a lot of water to go under the bridge of the NBA season, but you just don't like to see it. I'd love to see Patty Mills getting a consistent 15 off the bench, you know, um, Ben Simmons back and healthy. Jock Landau getting 10 to 15, playing through through good and bad. Josh Green being in the rotation. That'd be the ideal world for the Boomers, but we don't live in an ideal world, and that's where it's 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 very, very dangerous right now uh, for the Boomers program. So I'll be interested to see how that all fares individually for those guys. All right, stats, useful or useless. You're going to have to be the useful or useless guy, Trent, so get ready. You're going to have to let me know if these stats are useful or useless according to the brain of Trent. But uh, we have four decent ones this week. The Bulls win percentage this season, they are 27, 27.8% with Zach Levine, and they are 63.6% without Zach Levine. Just for context, Zach Levine's career win-loss record is about a 36% win-loss record right now. Um, so he's shooting 360, and it's his ninth year in the league. Useful, useless stat. I'm going to go uh, – not might not get agreed with here, but I'm going to say useless because I think an interesting one. Like I, I remember last year when when Jar missed a bunch of games, not not because of the suspension, but Memphis were were rolling without him. I think they went on like a 12 or 13 game win streak, something like that. You would never in your right mind say that the Memphis Grizzlies are better <laughs> without Jar Morant. Um, and I think it's the same here. Zach Levine's an all-star. Uh, I think when it comes to his leadership skills, they're obviously lacking. And I think this is the most telling part of this percentage is just when he's on the floor, there there is a lack of effort, a lack of you know want to win, and it might roll over into those young guys that are coming off the bench for him, et cetera. So that could be a contagious factor, but I'm going to go with useless. Interesting. Uh, I think it's in between. I'm going to have to go with useful just because – it's his ninth year in the league. He's got to figure it out. He's got to figure out that not all nine years they had horrible rosters. You know, he's in Minnesota for a period without a decent roster. The Bulls have a decent roster. It seems like right now, wherever he goes, loses losses follow, and you don't want to have that stigma. And, and and look, some of it could be attributed to bad luck, bad bad GMs, bad coaches. Get it totally. But when you're you're not you're in your ninth year in the league, and you continue to have a win loss record like that, I think. That's what I, if I'm Zach Levine, that's the chip on the shoulder I have. I don't have that. I'm a number one superstar that can get you 50. I should be in the same breath as all the other guys. I'm disrespected. People are sleeping on me. My thing would be no, I need to prove that I can win. I'm happy to give up. I'm I'm averaging 25. I'm happy to average 18, but win games. That's what I haven't seen from Levine. So I I go useful on that one. And I just think that he's got to figure it out and we'll see what the balls do there. But his, his value is not. Not in a great spot and be interested to see how things go. All right, Clay Thompson. Everyone has reportedly put things out there about his form. Should they trade him? Uh, Clay knocked back an extension in the offseason. People were saying that was crazy. He doesn't deserve one. Blah, 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 blah. His last four games, he's had 30 points on eight three-point makes, 24 points on four three-point makes, 28 points on five threes, and 24 points on six you think he's back, Trent? Has to be. There's that line like that. And Clay, Clay is not a player that is hasn't been prone to this in the past where he's had bad shooting stretches. It's just been, you know, masked by the Warriors' greatness uh, over, the, over the years. And I just think a shooter like this, like he's going to continue to get his shots up and and with time, any one of Clay's calibers is just going to start making them. So it's, it's good to get the misses out early and, and get rolling now heading into the second half of the season. Yeah, I agree. I th- look, he's a, he's a volume guy and he's going to have volume bad stretches and volume good stretches. But the issue is coming off the injuries that he had, you know, two injuries that basically two and a half, three years were a write-off for him and then having to come back and then find his form. His defense as well has always been talked about being a two-way player, trying to find his legs back has been a journey for him and he's been on record saying that. It's, it's not easy to come back from what he's what he's had to deal with off the floor. But he's going to have games where, you know, he, sh- he shoots at, you know, eight threes, 30 points, automatic. And he's going to have stretches where he doesn't. But the, the thing about Clay is when he starts getting his eye in and has a stretch of four or five games, he's a different player. 
when he's not thinking about it. Whereas when he's in his bad stretches, you can see him searching for it and probably sometimes over searches and takes some bad shots um, to try and find his form and rush it back. I'd be not worried, but the you know the Warriors start to find find a little bit of form right now. Steph's playing some better basketball. They've made some rotations on their bench. Clay's starting to get his eye in. They could make a little run here, so I like it, and I think it's a useful stat. All right, Steph Steph Curry's streak of two hundred and sixty eight consecutive games with a made three point field goal have come to an end in Portland of all places. He went zero for eight. That was the longest streak in NBA history all time. Last time Curry did not make a three was November 8th, 2018 against the Bucks. Useful or useless? Uh, it's, it's definitely useful, but it's kind of mind-boggling. Like I think the next closest was Dane with a with 101. So like Curry's got like two or three seasons there of consecutive threes in games. So like, it, yeah, it's insane. But it's indicative of him just being the greatest shooter ever, really. Yeah, it's what's... It's the fifth season, so 2018. So we're in the fifth season. So it's just unbelievable. And 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 what's what's crazier about him is, you know, the degree of difficulty that he makes them. Um, generally off the dribble, generally hard contests, generally getting hit sometimes. You know, guys are trying to make him drive, and he still manages to make at least one a game. Some people think, oh, that's easy. Well, not when you're you're top of the scouting list and everyone's trying to make you get into the paint. It's just a sensational. Thing that we're watching, I hope people appreciate, you know, the greatness of, of Steph Curry and, and kind of everything that he's done to this point. I've I've never seen a a, a guy that's made made three point shots off the dribble like him. Now Clay and him catch and shoot, they're in the conversation. You can, you could go either way. Where Steph separates himself from the greatest shooters in the league, your Reggie Millers, your Clay Thompsons, your Ray Allen's, is just his ability to cross cross through the legs behind the back, step back sideways, you know. Just an all net when he gets hot is just a beautiful thing to watch. I know I know because I was a meter away a lot of the time sitting the screens for him and just seeing these shots get hoisted over my head, thinking, "Wow, that's a, that's a crazy shot," and just be nothing but net. And you actually become normalized and immune to to what he's doing as a teammate sometimes. And I think fans and coaches are the same because it it's just happening so consistently that it becomes normal. Whereas if that was you run the middle player doing that, people would be freaking out. So I think we're we're really blessed with a a phenomenal player that I hope people appreciate and continue to watch. Last one, we're going to give some uh, female basketball players, women's, women's athletes, some love. Caitlin Clark is the first player in Division One history, both women's and men's, with 3,000 points, 750 rebounds, and 750 assists. Useful or useless? Useful. Go go talk. It's pretty simple. Like for, for- – for someone to be the first in anything, especially in uh, NCAA history, uh, as, as esteemed as it is, you know, the greatest players um, ever have come through the NCAA, likes Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, to to be number one, men or women, is is astonishing. So definitely useful. Yeah, useful, just crazy numbers. I mean, you, those kind of crazy numbers, I'd have to check what, what are per, per game numbers are, depending on how many games they've played there. But um just amazing, and she's there's a reason why she's staying in college. Obviously, we've discussed that she she's making more money in college than she will in the WNBA, which is a whole separate issue. But uh, one of those one of those female athletes, um, female basketball players that you'd, you'd you'd pay good money to go and watch, um, just with her skill set and the way she shoots it. I think people really enjoy and are in awe of the way she plays the game. So very very useful stat, in my opinion. All right, NBL. Last week, uh, Kings bounced back. They beat Tassie. They moved to second place and probably the best game of the season, in my opinion. I think they played um, from start to finish good, solid defensively. Uh, Jalen Galloway made a great return with over 20 points, had some really big baskets late. Just his energy was key. They go on to win that. Uh, United continue to be untouchable, so no surprises there. Easily the top of the table. Illawarra playing much better under Tatum. Um, can they get into six? That is a question. They're not far off it right now. We'll go through the ladder very, very shortly. Um, that was last week. This week we've had uh, two games so far. Time of recording the Kings laying an absolute egg once again. Against the New Zealand Breakers, just not, not a great game. Very poor defensively and... Gave up an early lead. I watched that game, actually. Game, gave up a very big lead early, 10 to 15 points. Clawed all the way back to, I think, take the lead by maybe two points or a point, and then New Zealand steamrolled the Kings late in that game. But the Kings just need to really, really figure things out defensively and, and hold some, uh, get some accountability individually. I think there's a 
at times it's a, it's a guilty by association is easy to wave off when things go wrong defensively, but every guy's going to take their individual battle uh, a bit more seriously in my opinion. Giving up 100 points consistently in the NBL um, is not going to do much for your chances to win a championship. And as noted by numerous people, I think Peter Hawley, NBL commentator, other NBL analysts have stated that you need to be somewhere in the top four offensively and defensively to have a chance to win a championship. And I believe most of the last, I don't know how far back we're going, five, 10 years, the NBL champions are a top four in both those scenes. The Kings right now are, are poor defensively and that needs to improve. Um, beyond that, Mitch Creek has a knee injury. I'm not sure the extent of it. There's been some some curveballs thrown from from Southeast Melbourne trying to say, oh, it's, we're going to reevaluate in a week and he should be all right. We'll see how it goes. I've heard, I've heard four to six weeks. Who knows? Don't know what the what the deal is with some NBL clubs lying about these kinds of things, trying to, you know, I guess fool other teams into their scouting reports, preparing for him, but other teams aren't silly. But that's that hurts them big time. Uh, they were playing some pretty decent basketball, inconsistent but pretty decent in the top six. I think they're going to fall out completely if he's out four to six weeks. So that's a huge one. Casey Prather has signed with the Brisbane Bullets. I think it's a big signing as far as a name for Brisbane. The issue is can he stay healthy? He's had two major knee surgeries, I believe, in the last, I think, 24 months. So, And before that, had a had a very, very long list of injuries that he's had. A very, very awesome player early in his NBL career. Injuries, went overseas, got hurt, I think had some issues overseas, potentially being misdiagnosed or playing with an injury when he shouldn't have been, made things worse. I think his leadership and, and knowing the NBL will help the Brisbane Bullets. Does it help them and put them over the line to get in the, you know, solidifying a top six spot? Yet to be seen because I need to see if he's healthy or not. But I'd assume Brisbane would have done their DD and made sure that he's at least, you know, can get through a full workout. I'd assume they'd probably send someone out or have a film or have a scout that's watched a full workout. That most likely would have been one-on-one or with a coach. It's a different story when you're out there five-on-five and you're in the grind of an NBL season. So we'll watch that space, but that's been um, it's been an interesting signing for them. You look at the table, Melbourne, I mean, they're, they're clear front runners. They're gonna, they should lock up number one. They play Perth. Um, well, the Perth game will be gone by the time you hear this recording, so we won't know that result. But they play Perth tomorrow, time of recording. That'll be a good game. But I think they'll, I think they'll get that one at home. Melbourne and Perth, first and second. Perth, basically a, a second. Third is Tasmania. Fourth is Sydney. They're all within a game of each other or tied. If Perth lose to Melbourne, they'll fall back down to potentially fourth. So it's going to be a bit of a bit of a Tetris game with those top four teams, in my opinion. Then you got Cairns, so Sydney are nine and seven, Tasmania nine and seven, Perth nine and six. Cairns are sneaking in at fifth with eight and nine on percentage. Southeast Melbourne eight and nine, a little bit lower on percentage. And then you've got the Bullets at seven and nine. New Zealand are six and nine, and I, I would not be surprised to see them make the six still. Uh, I think they're – I heard Peter Hawley say something similar. Um, I agree with him. I think that they – they are a sneaky chance. They've had a, hell, a horror run with injuries. Uh, they're getting all these guys back. McDowell White's back. Cheetah's supposed to be coming back. Um, I know Delaney's out four to six weeks, but uh, you know I don't think he's. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's an integral part. I think getting Cheatham and McDowell White um, back will be huge for them. And their other imports are playing very good basketball. Their next star is playing very well. I think they've got a sneaky chance of getting to that six. I think Southeast Melbourne, I think, will fall out. And then I think it's going to be Brisbane or New Zealand that step in. Uh, Illawarra is the other question. Can they make this six? There's a bit of noise around that. They've got games in hand. They've only played 13 games. They've played the least amount of games in the NBL. Uh, they're five and eight. If they get on a little streak here and get to 500, let's say they get to, to they're five and eight, you know, go four and one, they end up being nine and nine they're all of a sudden in the five. So NBL season has been it's been fun. Outside of Melbourne being so dominant, I think from two down to probably eight is wide open right now, and it's going to be an interesting season. But a lot of teams with work to do, some injuries, some this and that, but it's been uh, it's been fun to watch, Trent. Yeah, super interesting. I think you make a great point. From week to week, I feel like the league's completely different with who's competitive and who looks good. You know, there's been points of time where Sydney have looked really dominant in that two spot, and – Perth were outside the six, so I think it's still pretty much up in the air. There's a lot of games to play, but the only the only constant is United, and 
Um, it'll be interesting to see if anyone can get it together in time to be able to compete with them come finals time because I just think they've had the whole year to play together. They've had some injuries and stuff, but ultimately, like the way they're rolling right now, it looks like they're going to be pretty hard to beat come come finals. Yeah, look, I, I look at it both ways. I think Melbourne have not really been overly tested this season. They've, they've just kind of flown on. They've got a very deep squad. They have not really hit any adversity, even with injuries. Maybe, maybe early on that, a few guys out. But I think that's the only thing you could probably say, okay, have they had their adversity for the season? You don't want to have the adversity in the first round of the playoffs or the second round of the playoffs. That's where it's where it's dicey. But anyone would die to be in their position rather than second, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or seventh, or eighth, right? So that's, that's the only knock you have at Melbourne. You just want to make sure – that they're battle tested, but they're such a professional unit. Their bench is tough. Delavadova and Ilya, two headed monster defensively. Um, Chris is having a phenomenal year. He's in the MVP race, and rightfully so. They got Biggs, Huck Porty, and they got, I mean, Chul. They got a, a really good balance on that roster. I like the way they've built it. They got some youth. They got some veteran leadership. Cameron's coming off the bench for him, hit some threes. So they are going to be tough to beat in a series. The, the thing is, you know, they're going to avoid these playing one one game teams, which I think is huge for them because they are a team you could knock off on in a one game series, right? But in a three game or a five game series, I think they're going to be very tough to beat. Perth playing some really good form, uh, Tassie as well, just a little bit inconsistent. But I'm looking forward just to seeing how it all solidifies. I think Sydney's, you know, adversity has hit this last month. Adversity's there. It's how how does that squad figure it out and there's only two ways they can go they can go north or south if they figure it out that adversity is going to be bottled up and used as a positive um the bad teams use it as it ends up being a negative and derails your season a la illawarra a la one of these teams adelaide coach gets fired all kinds of shit happens the good teams use that as a positive so i'm interested to see um how they go in the next couple of weeks and big games coming up there um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's it's just cool to see how close it is. I think the planes definitely open up some different things in the NBL. Like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of them initially, but I think they they keep teams fighting that are in that six, seven, eight spot uh, rather than just putting the queue in the rack and rebuilding for next season. So um, if you're not an NBL fan, jump on. I mean, some of these games are, are very very competitive, and we're getting to the tail end of the season, so we're, we're halfway point for most teams or just over. 28-game season, most teams have anywhere between nine and nine and what, uh, 12 games left. So looking forward to seeing that and seeing how it all goes. That's basically it for this week. We uh, we're- I, got, I got one for you, Bugs. I got a fact or fake news. I've, oh, I've beautiful. So I think there were some comments earlier this week from Shaquille O'Neal after uh, Curry's late-game heroics against the Celtics. Basically, he said that Curry – when are we going to start putting Curry in the GOAT conversation? He's already the greatest shooter ever. And Shaq went as far to say he would put Curry above himself in that all-time ranking. But fact or fake news, is Steph ready to be spoken with as one of the it, the greatest player of all time? Sorry. It's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I looked, I saw this post pop up on my Instagram feed and, and had Shaq's numbers versus Steph's. Shaq's still elite. Like Shaq's numbers were... Not shooting-wise, obviously, you know, we're comparing apples and oranges here because Shaq was predominantly an inside force that just dominated the paint um, and made yeah, the you know defensive schemes were a little bit different to what you're dealing with with Steph. But it's it's a hard comparison because they're different players. But I look, I I agree that Steph needs to be in the conversation of of one of the all-time greats. Um, would I have him above Shaq? I'm not sure. It, it's 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 hard. It's debatable. Shaq was. You know, people always look at, oh, well, Shaq couldn't shoot, but I played against him later on in his career, and it was teams were literally stocking up centers on their bench for Shaq in the in the playoffs, right? You know, it was like whereas teams were facing the Warriors were getting perimeter defensive stoppers, so it's kind of the same thing in in, in a different realm. Um, but it's a tough one for me. I, I hate these kind of comparisons just because they're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, one thing I will agree with Shaq is that he deserves – and I mentioned this earlier in the pod just by accident. I think a lot of people sleep on what he's doing and what he's done, you know, and his shooting numbers. You know, his career shooting numbers, 91% from the free throw line, 42% from, from three, 42.7 and 47 from the field. That 42.7 from three over his career, man, when you look at just how tough 
those shots are that he takes on a consistent basis. When you look at what defenses are trying to do to get the ball out of his hands and not let him get up a three, when you look at the fact that he's then had to develop his shooting to be four or five steps beyond the three-point line and what that then does to your offensive space and getting guys like myself or Draymond or Zaza Pachulia or JaVel McGee, getting, getting those guys layups because now all of a sudden – their defense is stretched so far. As far as that goes, I think, you know, he's he's done a fantastic job. But then you look at Shaq. Shaq did the same thing, but from inside out, it was like the whole defense had to pack the paint where he's kicking out to Robert Ory, he's kicking out to Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, wide open, feet set threes. So they both are the very epitome of making the game easier for teammates. And that's what you look at. They're superstars that are you know, this is where I'd put Zach Levine. There's super. I don't have him as a superstar. I have him as a next tier star. But he's a star that he's going to get you numbers. He get you thirty. Star got you thirty. Steph, Shaq, Tim Duncan, you know, Kevin Garnett, LeBron James. They make they get their numbers dominantly, but they also make the game easier for everyone around them. And that's the true sign of a superstar. So there's only a handful of those guys in NBA history. You know, 10, 15, 20 guys that were dominant forces on their own right numbers-wise, but also you could just see it was like Mozart. It was just a flow with their team of like everyone felt comfortable and felt confident, and that's what Steph Curry and Shaq are. So kind of dodge a question a little bit, but um, I'll take both. No, answered it perfectly. They answered it perfectly for all the casuals out there. Just gave them a bit of knowledge. Yeah, these ones are tough. And these the only ones worse than this are error comparisons, like comparing, you know, uh, LeBron and Michael Jordan, different era, or Larry Bird to Nikola Jokic. I hate that kind of stuff because today's numbers are heavily inflated. Don't get me, you know, let's be honest. Today's numbers are inflated compared to what they were in the 80s and 90s because analytics, the three ball, referees are calling everything these days is much more free throw shot. So it's hard to compare eras. Eras are the worst to compare, but the next one is this. Obviously, comparing a, a shooting guard to a big is just so hard to do, but – um I was surprised because Shaq usually doesn't doesn't give too much. Uh, I guess he doesn't really put too many players above himself. So obviously he wanted to make a splash with what he said. And I respect the fact that he can say, oh, I think he's better than me and has done more than, than, I, than I did. That's, that's a pretty big statement for a guy that was literally one of the most dominant human beings in basketball ever to play the game. So um, interesting. Good one though. We'll, we might fill you in for pro. Hopefully – we will uh, we'll get Pro an alarm clock. We'll get him a, a calendar. We'll send him Google um, a Google time calendar that has three or four different time zones, and he'll he'll jump on. So as we were recording this, I got a text from him saying, uh, first threw you under the bus, Trent. He said, Trent told me 8 a.m. Dallas time. And then within a minute, he wrote back correcting himself saying, oh, shit, no, my bad. He did say seven. So – um, he must have been having a late breakfast there up in his in his Cheerios and we'll see him all next week. But that's uh that is all for this week. Appreciate everyone tuning in. The dedication to the pod. I'm currently traveling on holidays with the family, as you can see, hotel room behind me, try to get a podcast out for everyone. Uh, enjoy doing these. I hope you appreciate the effort we put into them. Like, subscribe, all that boring stuff. Uh tell a friend about us and we'll see you all next week.